Okay, well, please join me in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the blessing that we have of, of worshiping you and expressing in song and in music just the love that we have in our hearts for you. We know that we could never love you the way that you love us. So our hearts and our minds are constantly prone to wonder and to, to just neglect the love that you have poured in our hearts. So we ask that as we are gathered today here, um, that you will help us to be mindful of your love. Father, you will help us to meditate in these wonderful truths that we'll hear this morning. Father, that you are for us and that no one can be against us and that nothing and no one can separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we pray that you will prepare our hearts. I pray that you will give us uh, discernment and wisdom to respond to your truth with love. We ask these things in your name and we commit ourselves into your hands. We praise you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll uh, ask our brother Nigret. We're going to uh, study Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. So, so far in uh, Romans, our brother Paul has made clear that because of sin, we continually experience the corruption and the brokenness of this world. One only needs to watch the news for a few minutes and hear of natural disasters, crimes of all kinds, sickness, violence, death, immorality, and all sorts of evil. And if you watch the news long enough, hopelessness and despair will likely grow heavy in our hearts. And it's really hard not to get afflicted um, by the constant pains that we face every day. But also consider your own hearts. Paul has explained how our flesh and our old self is still pretty much present in us. So things like pride and lust and vanity and uh, anger, self-sufficiency, deceit, all these things creep in from within more than we care to admit. So the sinful nature inside of us wages war constantly with the Spirit of God that is working in our sanctification and for our future glorification. We commit to being faithful to God and we fail. We commit again and we fail. We commit and we keep failing. So the moral decay inside of us often discourages us discourages our souls and seeks to remove our focus from the gospel. The external dangers of this world and the internal threats of our own flesh can be so overwhelming that they may cause us to wonder, why? Why is God allowing us to experience so much pain and hurt? Why is God allowing the brokenness inside of us? Is God against us? Does God truly love us? Psalm 44, verse 22, verse 23 through 26 says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? 
Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So if all we had were these words of the psalmist, then indeed those feelings of despair and security would be understandable. But praise the Lord that he gave us Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Well, all of Romans and all the Bible, you know what I mean. But this portion right here. So in this section, Paul reaches the climax of his discourse. And we have already seen beautiful promises of eternal life, of peace with God, of no condemnation in Christ, and all things working out for the good of those who love him. Now he reiterates all these things and takes us to new heights so we can be affirmed and confident that God is indeed for us, regardless of any suffering in this present evil age. So my prayer this morning is for all of us. If there's, if there's anyone here or watching online that is struggling with the weight of sin, that is unsure or the Father's love, that you will be comforted with these words of assurance in this last portion of Romans 8. That you would be encouraged to remember and consider the work that God is doing on your behalf and that you will be challenged to respond to God's steadfast and unfailing love with faithfulness and love for him by the grace and for the glory of God. Amen. So in this passage, God, uh, Paul makes a series of rhetorical questions in order to get the reader to intentionally consider the arguments and principles that he is about to lay out. So the first question he asks is, what then shall we say to these things? And that phrase there, these things refer the context in which the following verses rest. So it could very well mean the previous section, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. It could mean all of Romans 8, or it could be Romans 1, verses 16 through 8, 30, which comprises all of Paul's explanation of the gospel, creation and fall and redemption and future restoration. And I like to think that he means, he means this last one, that he's talking about these things that he has already explained from the beginning of this book, of this letter. Because it is essential for us to consider the fullest scope of the gospel, of God's purposes and the work that he, um, of God's purposes and the work that he's doing to understand how these ideas fit into his master plan for the redemption of the world. But it's not just sufficient to understand them in a theoretical sense or knowledge. Instead, his initial question conveys a response from us. So in light of these things, all of these wonderful truths of the gospel of Christ, there's a response that we need to put forth. There is something that we must say. So I want to invite you all to say with me, all of us read together this first rhetorical question or the who questions that we're about to, to study. So it's in verse 31. We'll read together. If God is for us, let's start again. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
And this is Paul's main thesis statement. God is for us. Therefore, no one can be against us. This is the first of four important who questions in this passage that we ought to remember and consider always. The rest of the questions and the following arguments support, um, support the main idea that no one and nothing in creation can ultimately triumph over us and the plan that God is developing for those who he, who he, has, who he has chosen. They point us to a specific ways in how God has acted, is acting, and will act on our behalf. So now we may think, well, really, Paul? I know you say that, you know, that God is for us, but even you faced opposition for your faith. And this is true. You know, the disciples in the first century faced all kinds of opposition as the gospel spread throughout the land and the, Rom uh, the Roman Empire, the Jewish religious leaders and false teachers within the church all represented significant threats and dangers to Christians who are putting their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel. And we ourselves do not escape such opposition. We just had a group of missionaries um, coming back from Tanzania, led by our brother Mike Talley, and um, I'm sure we'll hear the report pretty soon, uh, very encouraging um, things happen there. But, you know, they encountered a rejection by the local government for the work they were doing. They were threatened to be in prison if they did not stop sharing the gospel or worshiping Jesus. And, well, praise the Lord, they were able to stand firm in what they, they believed was right, what they needed to do. And, uh, and the Lord moved them, uh, moved the team to a different location uh, where they could continue evangelizing and discipling. Sorry for the spoiler, Mr. Mike. I didn't mean to do that, but... But yeah, um, just like in this missional effort, we are likely to face opposition. And even here in Novilla, Texas, we may not experience the same kind of opposition uh, in the same capacity as other places around the world. But Christians, um, like where Christians are dying for their faith in Jesus, but still there's a spiritual warfare that is waging inside of us continually for our affections and our commitments. The spirit of God and our flesh battle for the throne of our hearts. And the devil, you know these verses, the devil is prowling like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And he uses every mean possible to make us stumble and fall. The world around us is a battlefield where we are being bombarded with a wickedness that is sadly becoming so normal. Unfortunately, it would only get worse until Christ returns. So yes, in this life we face opposition, and even Jesus said that we would. Yet we can trust that none of these threats against us will ultimately succeed because God is on our side. The opposition against the gospel is no match compared to the infinite power and presence of the Almighty God. Can corrupt governments prevail against God? Can terrorists and criminals of all kinds prevail against God? Can sickness and pandemics prevail against God? Can evil forces and attacks from the enemy prevail against God? 
Absolutely not. Brothers and sisters, we can have confidence in knowing that no evil can overcome us because God is for us. But how can we, how can we be sure about this? Because he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will also with him graciously give us all things. Verse 32. And I just made this statement instead of a question. But this is the foundation of our hope and the assurance that God is for us. This foundation rests on the perfect and sufficient work of Christ on the cross. And there is no better foundation than this. You know the hymn, right? On Christ the solid. Okay, let's start again. On Christ the solid rock I stand. No other ground is sinking sand. No other ground is sinking sand. Oh, sorry. All other ground. Oh. I'm going to get fired. Don't. So just delete that part, please. All right. So, so Paul's, Paul's argument here goes from the greater to the lesser. He's saying that if God our Father has already given us the greatest act of grace by sacrificing his son Jesus Christ for us to die in our place, then all the lesser things indeed are secure for us. So it goes from the greater to the lesser. We have been given Jesus Christ. He has come and paid the ransom for our sins. Now, his argument is, if he has already, God has already given us this, then how will he not give us all these other lesser things? So this verse, however, does not support any doctrine of prosperity, of, of God's prosper, prosperity gospel, whatsoever. Let us not think that because God gave us Jesus, then we will also receive from him all the things that we have ever wanted. So you know Santiago, right? Santi? Yes? And Santiago loves popcorn. And he, well, Mati, he's too young to eat popcorn, but I'm pretty sure he will uh, enjoy popcorn as well. But for a while, Santi, Santiago, when he woke up in the mornings, he wanted to eat popcorn. And he would say, quiero cotufa. Like, I want popcorn. It's like, I want popcorn. And, um, you know, but because we love him, we did not give him popcorn for breakfast. Though it sounds like a good idea, but it's not. <laughs> we did not give him cup popcorn for breakfast. Kayla usually prepares uh, a, a like, delicious omelet with spinach and mushrooms and cheese and all this healthy stuff. Um, and I'll just have a biscuit with gravy from our brother, Charlie. <laughs> But, but because we love Santiago, because we love our children, we give him, we give them the things that will help him to grow strong and healthy, right? That's what your parents do as well. The least loving thing that we could do as parents will be to deprive them for the things that they need in order to give them all the things that they want. So God will not give us all the things that we want because sometimes the things that we want are not aligned with what he wants for us. But Peter says this. He says that divine power has granted to us all things 
that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I'll read it again, if I can find a page. Divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Second Peter 1, and chapter 1, verse 3. So the, the basic things that we need to live, you know, food and shelter and, and clothing, those are all guaranteed to his children by our Father in light of his greater calling for us. He also has already given us every spiritual blessing that we need to live godly lives, to glorify him. In him, we have everything we need, present and future blessings for this life and the life that is to come. So God, in handing over Christ to face the sufferings of the cross, he manifested the greatest thing possible, the greatest gift of salvation, the greatest expression of love. He has already given that to us. He has already done that for you. How can you doubt that he will not continue to extend his grace upon you by giving you all the things that you need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God? To be conformed to his image and to ultimately bring you into future glory that awaits us. Do not doubt that God is for us. God is for us and no one can be against us. So, so far we've done two questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? And then, well, no, that's not the one, sorry. Well, we're going to the next question now, sorry. Then verse 33, it says, Who shall bring any charge against God, God's elect? It is God who justifies. So this next question, Paul uses judicial language that is seen throughout all this letter. And the verb in the Greek here, uh, enkaleo, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation or not, bring, to bring charge has a legal connotation. And it's used in this passage in Romans 8, but then also in the book of Acts to refer to accusations done against Paul. And the future tense of this verb in this question implies that Paul here is referring to the last judgment, the day that all of us will face, that last day. You know, as, as a little boy, I think I was like maybe 21. I can't remember. A little <laughs> as a little boy, I was very, very very afraid of that moment. I was very afraid of Judgment Day. I would think that I could not go, I could not go to heaven because, you know, I, I was not always a good person. And occasionally, I did bad things. I once stole a plastic cat from a toy store. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> and so I would constantly play this picture in my mind that I was standing before God and as he reviewed every deed in my life, and you know, you probably imagine this too, like you have the big screen showing everything that you have done and then you have all the books open. And that, so that's, what, that's my idea. 
that image of the stolen cat will always appear. It's like, and with a big guilty sign in red. I, I watched a lot of cartoons when I was growing up, so it's so kind of like that. So it would pop up there, and then God would press a button and would send me directly to hell. Yes. Now, I certainly now have done worse things than stealing a toy. And even though my sins have been great, I know that the grace and mercy of God that rescued me is even greater than my sins. The grace and mercy of God are greater than your sins as well. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 reminds us that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no more fear of judgment, but there's peace with God because God has justified us in Jesus Christ. No accusation can prevail against us to declare us guilty again. Satan will undoubtedly, he will try to keep uh, bringing charges against us, but they are rendered ineffective, ineffective because the justification that God has worked on our behalf prevents those accusation, accusations from succeeding. So as God's, as God's elect, our transgression has been washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus' righteousness is imputed unto us. And it stands before us when accusations come. Justification in Christ assures us that ultimately we will stand before God, before God's throne, with confidence. Because God has declared us to be right in his sight. So do not doubt that God is for us. Because no one can accuse us. Because we have been justified in Christ. Then who is to condemn? Verse 34. And I will ask this in a Paul-like manner with a rhetorical question. So if no one can accuse us, then who can effectively condemn us? And their answer there is, again, no one. But John uh, says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20, that our hearts can sometimes condemn us as our conscience reminds us of sins that we have committed. And we hurt when we remember these particular sins. We're, we're prone to condemn ourselves in guilt when we forsake the message of the gospel and what God has made effective on our behalf through the sacrifice of Christ. And this guilt tends to paralyze us, to paralyze us and impedes us from moving forward in our walk with the Lord. Yet God assures us that if we are in Christ, these accusations do not count. And condemnations against us will not ultimately prevail. So you all know this verse, Romans 8, chapter chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore... Let's do it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So no matter from whom or where the condemnation comes from, it could be from your own soul, it could be from outside, from the enemy, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I love the way that Paul develops his response with these four declarations in this verse 34. And we'll notice that how each statement is building up on the previous one and then finishes with a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ continually assuring us his redemption work before God our Father. So verse 34, it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So brothers and sisters, we can be confident that no one will condemn us in the final judgment because Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, died on our behalf. Pain for the condemnation that we deserved and no one will condemn us because he not only died for our sins, but he was raised from the dead. His vindication was his resurrection. The resurrection was his vindication that completed his atoning work and guarantees us that we will be resurrected with him as well. So no, no one will condemn us because he is now sitting at the right hand of God, of the Father, making sure that that verdict of justification that we have received, that he accomplished for us, is successfully applied on judgment day on our behalf. So no one will condemn us because Jesus is acting in this very moment as the great high priest, continually interceding and pleading for us before God. So how does, how does it make you feel to know that Jesus is praying for you, that he is praying for you right now, that, you know, the prayers of our brothers and sisters are very encouraging. I, a, lot, a, lot of, a lot of you knew that I, was, had this, I had this responsibility today and mentioned, I'm praying for you. I was like, yes. I appreciate your prayers very much. I was planning on doing this in Spanish and then just add the subtitles <laughs> over there. But Kayla didn't let me do that. So, yes, prayers from our brothers and sisters are very very helpful, but we know that our Savior is at this very moment praying for us. And that fills our hearts with joy and peace and confidence as we sang this morning. His intercession secures us this wonderful blessings of salvation that he achieved on our behalf by his sacrifice. So praise the Lord for his amazing redemption. You know, the world opposes us, the devil accuses us, our own souls, our own hearts condemns us, but yet none of these things will prevail against us because God is for us. So then we can come and say in this last question, it's who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So we can say all together, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And with this last question, Paul changes the focus to a more relational note to make us consider that the greatness of his faithfulness, especially to make us consider the greatness of his, of his faithfulness, especially in the present reality of suffering. When Paul gives this list of things that may attempt to cause separation between us and God's love, he is not speaking in an abstract sense. He's 
very much considering his own experience and tribulations for the sake of Christ as a minister for the gospel. So we have in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 11, verse 24 to 28. I'll read this. This is Paul speaking out of his own experience. He says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was one stone. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger or thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So Paul knows what he's talking about. He, not, he knows that suffering is not the evidence that God is against us, but that God is actually working in us through this pain that we experience. And in this verse, verse 34, he says, then who shall separate us, verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So this use of Psalm 44, verse 22, is interesting because the context of this psalm help us to understand how God is working in our suffering. One commentator says the following. He says that the psalmist laments the suffering of the righteous who have not abandoned God's name and yet are subject to humiliation defeat, and mockery. So God does not necessarily allow suffering only on the wicked, but God in his sovereignty allows that even the righteous ones inevitably face hardships and trials. And this this Psalm 44 is also connecting us to this famous passage in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is connecting us and saying that we are suffering. For your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. It's connecting us to the suffering that Christ went on our behalf. So we do not, we do not take lightly the suffering that we experience because It is an honor for us to suffer just as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered. So what does it mean to be more than conquerors then? Because we have then verse 37 says that in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it's great because it gives us hope because it says you're going to face all these things. But remember that you are more than conquerors in all this tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword, you are more than conquerors. 
through him who loved you. So what does it mean then? It means that the battles of this life that we face, is not, we're not just merely enduring hardships and adversity for the sake of enduring. It means that God has already given us the victory in Christ and we can enjoy the blessings of his triumph. But it's also not just allowing us to enjoy the blessings of his triumph, but it's also turning the tribulations and the trials and temptations and all these other things for the good of those that he loves and that loves him according to his purposes. So in Romans 8.28, we read last week, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So ultimately, all this suffering is for our benefit. Though we do not always understand it, we can trust that he has a reason to allow us to face the things that we do. So in moments of affliction, we struggle, but become stronger in our faith. We gain new perspectives and wisdom from above, and our dependency on God may increase. Of course, these victories do not have nothing to do, and I want to be very, uh, I want to emphasize this point very much. These victories do not have anything to do with our ability to persevere or how insightful can we be through the suffering. But as the verses here, it is the love of Christ that makes us more than conquerors. So are you convinced that God is for us and that his love is unfailing? If all the things that Paul has mentioned so far are true, then we have no reason to doubt that his final statements about God's love are astoundingly. This is a hard word. Why did I write this down? I'm sorry. His final statements about God's love are astoundingly, astoundingly true. In these last two verses, Paul makes sure that if someone wants to claim that God's love is somehow impotent to any threat or condition or power in the created world, then such claims need to be discarded completely. It says... For I am sure, let's all read together, verse 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. So if we die, God loves us. If we live, God loves us. If we face supernatural powers, God loves us. In our future, in our present time, God loves us. In our future, God loves us. Wherever we are, God loves us. Through all things, God loves us in Christ Jesus. So as, as I was preparing for this, for this, for this day, for um, this opportunity to share the word, I was thinking, well, what has been the most painful moment of suffering that God has allowed me to live? And it can be a good exercise for, for us. What has been the most painful moment of suffering that God has allowed you to live? How has God shown me his love through, through that circumstance? And I asked Kayla, 
and the same, the same question. And we both agree that as a family, the, the, what it was the hardest for us when the time when we had the miscarriage in 2017. And we were actually here in Ovilla in that moment. You know, Kayla and I, we both wanted to be parents for so long. So this news of pregnancy, of this new baby, was a lovely and a precious gift to us. And when we noticed that something was not going well, we prayed. We prayed to God that he would protect this baby in Kayla's womb. And we tried not to worry, you know, but you know how, you know how those moments are. We tried not to worry, but it's very hard. So we were finally able to get a sonogram appointment and Kayla had to go in by herself into the doctor's uh, room. I had to stay behind, um, waiting in the parking lot, you know, praying and hoping that, um, that all things were well. And when I finally saw Kayla coming through those doors, my heart just broke. I had never seen this kind of sadness on her face. And I know that many of you have felt this before. You know, when the emotional pain is so intense that you actually, you're actually able to, to feel it, to, to experience it physically. And that is what we felt. There was no heartbeat. And the hopes and dreams of finally having children faded as well. And the following days were hard. We spent most of the time sitting on the bathroom floor, crying and holding each other and praying and being silent and singing. And there's a song that we used to sing in that moment. But the lyrics of the song touch our hearts in a very special way. This song is called Tu has sido fiel. It's, you have been faithful. And I, I translated some of the words for you. This is what the song says. It says, I am amazed by your love and your faithfulness. That regardless of who I am, you still love me. You have always been faithful and always by my side. Your eyes filled with love are gazing through my walk. Perhaps the sun tomorrow will not shine, but I can still trust that your presence is my guide. And though the stars are wiped away from the sky above, You remain faithful to your promise of love. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. You have been faithful. So brothers and sisters, God's love shines even brighter and stronger in the darkness of suffering and pain. God's love tastes even sweeter when we're going through the bitterness of lament. Yes, God's love is steadfast and it's also present in moments of joy and peace 
but we can learn how to treasure it even more and better when we're hurting. God is the good shepherd who makes you lie down in green pastures, but is also the good shepherd who allows you to go through the valley of the shadow of death. But he is there with you. So do not disregard the trials and tribulations that God allows you to suffer because he may be moving you to experience a different facet of his love for you through this season. He may be affirming in you that no matter how hard and painful the situation may be, you will not be separated from his love that is in Christ Jesus. There's nothing and no one that can separate us from his love. So what then shall we do? Well, first, if you don't know this love, if you don't know this love, if you're here sitting and saying, well, what is he talking about? Never know this, never knew of this. Open your heart to Christ. Open your heart to the love, the fountain of love, of everlasting love that he's offering for you in this morning. Acknowledge your brokenness and dependence of him and surrender, and surrender to your Savior and Lord. Also, allow these wonderful truths to fuel your worship to God and let them bring, let them bring to you let them bring you to a rekindled devotion and adoration. So bask in the beauty of God's love for you and respond in a fervent praise as you pray for and consider these truths. And because you know that God is for you and that nothing and no one can separate you from his love, seek to show the same commitment in love and faithfulness that he has for those who are in Christ. So when you're facing suffering, do not let yourself be troubled and in despair, but be resolved in your spirit to keep loving God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. And respond to God's unfailing love with love. Make this your word also. Nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So what then shall we say to these things? Yes, there will be those who try to oppose us. There will be those who try to accuse us. There will be those who try to to condemn us, but none of them will succeed. None of those things will prevail against us because God is for us. And the foundation for this hope is none other than the finished and sufficient work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. Yes, there is suffering, there is pain, There is hurt, but because God is for us, none of those things will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His steadfast and amazing love will preserve us in him to the end of this life. His steadfast and amazing love will preserve us in him to the end of this life and to the future glory for the beginning of our new eternal life. Father, we are so grateful this morning for your presence in this place. Thank you for moving our hearts to consider your love and to understand that nothing in this world, nothing created, nothing in the heights or in depths or wherever we may be, Father, nothing can separate us from your love. You have shown us many, many ways how you are for us 
And if you are for us, then nothing and no one can be against us. Help us to consider these things as we, as we live our life, as we go about our days and weeks. Father, keep burning that fire of love and passion in our hearts for you. Help us to boast, to, 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 to bask, not boast, bask in the glory of your presence, Father, of your grace and your love. Help us to consider your mercy and let that rekindle the devotion and adoration that's in our hearts. We pray that you continue to speak to our hearts, Father, even um, as we are getting ready to finish up and sing a few songs. Father, speak to us through these songs and that we'll sing with commitment, that, we'll this, that this will not be just words that we sing. Father, that as we sing that we love you, that this will be a commitment of our hearts, that as we sing that you are our hope in life and death, that we will have this truth rooted in our hearts and in our minds. So we love you and we praise you and we thank you and it's in your name that we pray, amen.